No crying. There's no crying in baseball. card counters at the blackjack table. We're going to turn the odds on the casino. What's up, friends? Welcome to episode number 39 of Terrace Talk. Um, we're here uh, immediately following a, a tough Brewers loss against the Giants in a an odd one-game set against them. Um, only got Mitch L here at the moment. It sounds like our guy, Buss, uh, ironically ran into some work problems uh, right after a Brewers loss. You know, he rides the the highs and the lowest of lows. So we'll see if we get a Mitch boss appearance on today's pod. Um, either way, Mitch, how are we doing? Yeah, I, uh, I didn't have uh, Buss's work problems for his excuses to not talk about when uh, talk about uh, games when the Brewers lose. So we're checking that off the bus bingo uh, excuse card. But yeah, I mean, uh, outside of tonight, kind of sour taste in the mouth. But, you know, recapping the week, uh, it was a five and one week last week. Um, you know, we're finding ways to win. It seems like the Brewers MO this year is trending to be exactly the way it was last year and the way they built this team. It's really, really, really good pitching, uh, you know, making defensive plays when they need to and just scoring enough runs to win. So it was kind of sad to see tonight um, the way it kind of played out after Corbin's start, but glad to be here. Five and one last week. Got to build off that. Yeah. I mean, all in all, it's a good week. It obviously sucks to blow a, a phenomenal Corbin bird start in which he struck out like, what was it? 10 or 11 guys today. Yeah, it was 10 um and six and six and two third innings pitch so um the the brewers pitching staff looks like after uh a shaky first handful of games where we were kind of walking a lot of guys and getting frustrated a couple podcasts ago um that seems to be long gone and you know shaking off the rough the rust of uh, a short spring so the staff has just been unbelievable yeah, I mean, uh, obviously we'll get into it when we highlight the key takeaways from the week. But, I mean, you have to look at the two guys, uh, I mean, outside of Corbin and Woodruff, the start that they put in together, I think that's to be expected. But I think the question marks for this year was, could Adrian Hauser and Eric Lauer build off the years that they had last year? And, and boy, have they delivered so far this year. I mean, Eric Lauer's start yesterday was probably the best start of his career, dating back to probably fucking A-ball um the way he was controlling pretty much all those pitches obviously he had some help from from Angel Hernandez behind the plate but uh Hauser too Hauser's been electric he, he uh I think he gave up three runs on Saturday but got no help I mean some of those earned runs were pretty bullshit earned runs by the way the defense played so um just just wait until Freddie figures it out now you have legitimately five well above average pitchers 
Um, it's going to be the MO all year. Uh, I don't know when the bats will turn it on. You would think at some point they'll, they'll have weeks where they're better than others, but it's kind of apparent to me that this team's going to win games, a lot of low scoring games and going to have to rely on their pitching like they did last year. Yeah, man. I mean, Eric Lauer, Sunday night baseball. Um, you, you know, you just said that was probably his best start since a ball. He's been, he's been unbelievable since, you know, end of June last year. I think you tweeted from the account, a pretty insane stat. If you just want to read that off real quick. Yeah. So since July 1st of last year, uh, minimum 90 innings pitch. So pretty much just all starting pitchers. He has the third best ERA in all of baseball behind only two pitchers, one of which is our own Corbin Burns and the other being uh, Julio Urias from the Dodgers. Uh, I think it was a 2.37 ERA since July 1st of last year. So that's uh, really, I mean, it, ch it chalks up to one thing and it's, we won that fucking trade. And I don't even know if it's even a discussion anymore at this point. Uh, David Sturt continues to be a magician and, uh, Eric Lauer is, uh, I don't even know if when they traded for him, they expected him to be this good. I know he showed signs in San Diego of being a middle of the uh, rotation guy. He's pitching like an ace right now. And it's, uh, it's as easy as that. Yeah, man, it's pretty insane. Like of those qualified pitchers, like he's top 30 in F war right now, like sitting at 21st. <laughs> I mean, 13 strikeouts. I obviously know like, and we can talk about it too once we get into series and like the week. Um, but uh, Angel Hernandez helped out a little bit um, with the the very wide strike zone. Um, but I mean, you you just stack up stats and starts like he has for you know an extended period of time, and uh, people are starting to take note. Even on like national fantasy baseball podcasts, like they're he's a must pick up guy according to. CBS sports one that I listen to on a consistent basis and they went through his stats and they were they all three of the guys were kind of like in awe they're like holy shit like is that actually a real thing like going back that far um so it's uh it's pretty cool like and the other thing is um like Ken Rosenthal since he tweeted you know he has a, a tweet that's circling around Brewers Twitter essentially declaring that the Padres fleeced us to get Grisham and uh, uh, for Eric Lauer and, um, and Luis Urias, that both of our guys have outperformed like even Darvish and Grisham for them. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. It's uh, I feel like it's going to, that's going to trend every single start similar to the way uh, we kind of jokingly tweeted the uh, we won the trade thing, but yeah, I mean, um, Eric Lauer's numbers are really starting to, to, to kind of back up his performance. It's not one of those fluke things where he's just pitching well. And the biggest thing for me this year, and I don't know if it's the pitching lab or just some guys figure it out later, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but his velocity is way up this year. And I think that's playing a huge role. Um, he is his average fastball this year is 94.1, which is almost two miles an hour faster than his best in his career. Um, so he seems that seemed to have found whether it's a mechanical change or something that has now added velocity that, that I think is playing a factor into this. I mean, obviously the start yesterday is going to balloon his, his uh, K nine and his K percentage to what we've typically seen from Eric Lauer, but um, that added velocity seems to be really playing for him. So 
excited to watch him continue to pitch this year. And if, if he's just a another rotation piece that we can pretty much slot in for pretty much a quality start every time he's out. Um, I don't know where in this rotation you look, if you're an opposing team to be like, okay, this is a guy that we have to get because pretty much all five guys were trotting out there outside of maybe Friday to start the year. It feels like you're going to get a quality start. Yeah. And I also heard on that podcast this morning that uh, he's thrown more pitches over 96 miles per hour this year than he had in his entire career. (laughs) <laughs> um so yeah I think the the velocity is kind of real and uh it's uh it's pretty exciting man it's like it, literally every single day like you're waking up like you know we we kind of started with this last year when you're like wow we can get excited for three guys and like Hauser kind of joined in the last you know latter half of the year and like Lauer crept in there and I think people have been slow to accept that he's a really solid pitcher but I think uh his start to this year kind of has people on the lower train as well. And let us be on record. I think all of us are probably going to work on a handwritten letter to be mailed to Eric Lauer because I think about this time last year, after his first couple starts, we told him that he belonged back in his garage painting and uh, putting up some, some spring rakes and different things like that. So um, let ter- the Terrace Talk guys be the first to say, hey, we were, we were wrong about you, EL. Yeah, very wrong. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we jokingly said that he could buy a house with Josh Lindblom and Nashville, and um, it kind of was trending that way. Like, you, we were just excited to see, like, the Ashbys, the Ethan Smalls, just, like, anyone. You know, he wasn't flashy, but two starts this last week, one against the Pirates, he goes six innings and only gives up one earned. And then obviously the the spotlight show on, on Sunday night, I mean, 12 innings pitch on the week, 18 strikeouts and one earned run. Um, he's probably uh, the Brewers player of the week for sure. Yeah. He may even be line. I don't, I didn't know, or I didn't see if the NL pitcher of the week came out, but I wouldn't be shocked if he wins it. Um, I don't know if that dropped today or not, if that comes out tomorrow, but yeah, it's a good happy. point. Would not be shocked to see him win that award. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, so in general, I mean, Brewers Brewers go five and one. I mean, if you include it tonight, uh, we've got a five and two week. Uh, you uh, you start off, we, we swept the Pirates, took care of business against them. Nothing really got all that interesting. Hader got a bunch of saves this week. He's up already up to eight, um, eight saves on the year, and on his way to uh, another incredible Josh Hader season. But we sweep the Pirates and win two of three against the Phillies, obviously lose tonight against the Giants. But uh, I guess, you know, we can we can talk besides EL. Um, what's your biggest takeaway of the week on a positive note? Let's start positive before the negative. Yeah, I mean, I think we got to stick with just the pitching in general. Um, Corbin and Brandon Woodruff both had good starts this week. Adrian Hauser had a good start. Um, I think that's where, where you have to, where you have to look in terms of key takeaways, um, you know, staying away from Eric Lauer, but just all of those guys after their first time through the rotation have kind of found their command, maybe outside of Freddie. Um, so it just, again, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but the key takeaway has been um, seemingly what it's going to be all year. And it's the dominance of the starting rotation. Yeah, I mean, Corbin on Tuesday in his start against the Pirates at home, he struck out 10 guys, um, gave up two solo home runs over seven. Um, and, of course, you know, Daniel Vogelbach is going to be uh, 
a Brewers killer, probably like represent the Pirates as their lone all-star this year, the the year that he leaves Milwaukee. I mean, it's about as classic as it gets. Is he's he's off to a strong start in general, but um kind of being a thorn in the brewer side already here. Ben Gamble was the guy that was the brewer killer for Pittsburgh last year. That was kind of like our ex ex guy that used to be on our team. And it feels like Bogey's going to take that role. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Pittsburgh does with Bogey. I could see them or them trading him. Maybe who, who knows when uh, they're obviously they're, they're playing well or decently well right now, a lot better than I think people projected because they, uh, just took three out of four against uh, our good friends to the South. Um, although Chicago won the fun differential by like 10 runs, uh, Pittsburgh was able to take three out of four, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with Vogie, Um, just because he's right now the only hitter in that lineup that's really doing damage. So this upcoming series against Pittsburgh, I'd like to see us ideally, um, you know, kind of just have someone else beat us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, could be wrong, but it seems like we we held Brian Reynolds in check, so that would be key to you know winning another series, hopefully sweeping them again. Um, I mean, we're just so much better than the Pittsburgh Pirates, and amazingly, they've actually played okay ball so far this year. Yeah. Uh, after winning three or four against the Cubs, I think they're right around five hundred, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe they're eight and eight or nine and eight, eight and nine, something like that. Yeah, so I mean, we're we're gonna roll out. Woody again tomorrow against them. They're going to see Peralta and uh, and Hauser. So we should be set up for, you know, just like pretty much every series, our pitching's in pretty solid shape with Hayter and D. Will getting the night off today. Yeah, and that was a, another key takeaway from tonight. And then you can go into your positive from the week. But that was something where it's like, uh, I saw Brewers Twitter a bit frustrated that guys were down, but you got to realize, or they have to, re- just fans in general have to realize it's early in the year. We don't have any off days coming up. We had our off day last week, and I think we play every game this week, and our next off day is until the middle of next week. So we're going to need, especially early in the year, other guys to step up in high leverage spots. Trevor Gott's been good to this point. He made one mistake, and then uh, obviously Jake Cousins has struggled with command for the through the first yeah. couple of weeks of the year, but early in the year, you're going to need other relievers to step up. And today it just didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of, I think rock pulled the old uh, jinx on Trevor got um, after, uh, after he cruised through the first few guys that he faced tonight, um, he uh, gave up a double and then a home run um, immediately following to Jack Peterson, who, who's strangely like, I think the hot mic caught him like saying like talking shit, pussy. Like, I don't know. I was casually watching the game and I kind of heard that too. And I was like, what's going on there? Like they, there hadn't been really much talk or it didn't seem like it was a high intensity game throughout. So that was kind of strange. Yeah. And I think we need to chat about that a little bit because I, I actually kind of enjoy that where fans are going to chirp players. I like when the players jaw back and I think it's even cooler. when. Oh, was that toward the fans? Yeah, so there were some oh, guys – there There seemed to be some college guys that were having a little Monday fun day um, drinking some busy lemonades, and they were screaming the whole game, just chirping at hitters. And uh, as Jock was up, they were chirping him the whole game. And I think he even said something before he hit a 470-foot home run off the, the scoreboard, but it was just like one of those things where he was trotting the bases, and you could just – you knew he was going to say something, and it was – it was something like, you know, keep your effing mouth shut, you 
something or what along those lines, but like the mic obviously picked it up. And it was just one of those things where it was hard not to laugh because the fans were laying into him the entire bat. And it was just, okay, he hits it 450. He's going to get the last say. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jock Peterson, I think that was his 14th career home run against the Brewers. And, um, you know, unfortunately he hasn't been around all that long. So he's, uh, he's certified first tier Brewers killer team right now. Yeah. Um, and it seems like his home runs sting a lot when he does hit them too. He's, he's pretty clutch guy. Yeah. I, I still have, uh, I think the wounds are still open from the NLDS. So that kind of hurt a little bit extra tonight. Yeah, for sure. And we do have, uh, we do have bus in here now, bus, uh, tough loss, obviously tonight. We, we chirped you to start the pod just so you know, but, uh, I'm glad you're able to go I thought you had drank some bleach and went to bed, but how you doing, man? I did. Man, what a shitty, shitty game. You know, I was thinking about after that game, how I couldn't just, this is totally random, but I could not wrap my mind around the MLB playing like damn near 70, 80 games during the COVID year with zero fucking fans. <laughs> Card yeah. fucking cardboard cutouts. Isn't that shit wild? That is, I mean, that's going to be a <laughs> Especially like 20 years from now, like seeing highlights from that year, it's going to be pretty insane. In the fucking textbooks. <laughs> yes, in the textbooks is is right. I don't know. That lightened my mood up a little bit after the game. Random thoughts. Yeah, yeah, it sucks to lose those, but, you know, one of 162. We got the Pirates. We'll uh, <clears throat> the Cubs this week, so hopefully we got another positive week on, on deck here. Did you guys dive into our hitting already? No, no, we actually haven't. So, uh, so that's good. We actually um, just got done. We've we've talked a little Eric Lauer action. We've uh, gone over some some of the other starting pitching. So I'm about to give uh, give my positive of the week here, and then we can actually get yours, boss. Um, but we might be done after we cover all the pitching here. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think this might this week might be like just group pitching because there's yeah. not really much else to talk about. Yeah, it's group pitching. Um, we do have uh, – I did just want to highlight Josh Hader um, just being the best relief pitcher in baseball um, and having just an historic start to his career. We kind of touched on it last week, but he had just another insane week. Um, he actually leads the Milwaukee Brewers in F4 with uh, – he's already worth half a win this year through – what are we, through seven, 16 games. So he's on pace for five war as a, as a closer. He's eight for eight. He's got a 12.38 K per nine. Um, he's only given up a couple hits. His walk per nine is only 2.25. Um, his FIP is 1.08. His expected ERA 1.9. And he has not given up a run yet. Um, so, you know, this isn't, uh, and I, I think I've mentioned this on like a preseason pod before, um, but, uh, and this isn't really jinxing it because it's obviously an unattainable thing. But every single season that starts with Hater, I I just think like there's some he's so damn good that there's some way somehow that he could go the entire year without giving up a run. That that's how I feel about him. That's how confident I feel when he's in the game, especially in the regular season. Obviously, he's a big part of that. But you want to know what's even a crazier stat about just our relievers in general? We rank 27th in relievers innings pitched at 58.2. We are second in reliever for war at 1.3. 
So that means our relievers aren't pitching all that much considered compared to the rest of the MLB, but yet we're second in uh, F war uh, when it comes to pitching, which is just remarkable. Obviously Hader has 50% of that, but it just goes to show, you know, outside of tonight, I know our relievers struggled a little bit, but we still have a top three bullpen in all of baseball primarily because of Josh Hader. Yeah, and Devin Williams before is, you know, he had two pretty good outings against Philadelphia, but he struggled a little bit in that Pirate series. Um, been a little up and down so far. Hopefully he's on the, the brink of turning that around. But uh, actually before tonight, Trevor Gott was second amongst our relievers with uh, 0.4 war. Um, so he, he was off to an incredible start. Obviously it uh, sucked to give up that one to Jock today, but still impressive nonetheless through, uh, through 16, 17 games here. Um, yeah, I don't know. And I, I was blind to the game on, on Friday and a little bit Saturday I had like a wedding, wedding rehearsal. Um, how did, uh, how did Freddie Peralta look? I think he looked pretty good. I think he went like five and two thirds with eight punchies and maybe like two walks. Correct me if I'm wrong on that stat line, Mitch. I can, yeah. pull, up, I can pull it up here. I'm just curious if, like, if the eye test kind of co- no, went in line with the box score there just because I didn't uh, – I wasn't able to watch any of that one. Yeah, yeah no, I think he – Go ahead, boss. I think he gave up a run or two in the first, and then he settled down and kind of locked it in for the next couple innings. Yeah, I mean, he only got through five innings and was at 90 pitches, so it still took him quite a bit to get through hitters. Um, 54 strikes and 89 pitches is eh, but I think it was a step in the right direction for him considering the way he looked in his first two starts. Um, so hopefully that's a positive sign, but that'll be the biggest thing for Freddie is that um, ideally we would like him to pitch longer in games and not take you know five, six pitches to get through every hitter. Right, right. And obviously, uh, he'll have a start against Pittsburgh um, coming up here in a couple of days. Hopefully, he can carry that momentum for his first decent start of the year into this one because we're going to need him um, this year. So, so yeah, I mean, I, like, I, to be honest, we've gone through our positives and we've covered pretty much all the pitching. Um, I think, like, collectively, we can just talk about how – shitty the offense has been as the negative of the week right yeah yes like I mean like yeah there's been some timely hitting and like you sweep Pittsburgh you win two out of three against Philadelphia um you know one of those games being a 1-0 win and then tonight you only muster up two runs so it's uh it's been a rough start for the offense I don't know if, if there's you know boss do you have any key takeaways as like one person you want to single out or do you want to take it like guy by guy but there's quite literally no one outperforming what what we would expect them to do before the season started right and I mean you can all out there's really no one to single out because everyone's just been dog shit I mean you can't rely I mean you can rely on your arms every night but at some point you got to score a couple of runs for those guys like Josh or uh, Corbin's outing tonight was unbelievable and I feel like it's just kind of a recurring theme where starters dice and then they, they give up like one or two runs at the end of the game and the offense has done nothing we saw it two nights in a row uh, luckily we won one of those games but 
something's got to give. Uh, we're 17 games in now, so I don't know. I know Luis is, needs to come back. Um, sounds like he they want him to have like 30 or 35 at-bats before he comes back, and that's he's at, what, nine at-bats already, so he's probably another week and a half out. Um, I'm not sure if they're looking to expedite that process. Um, yeah, yeah, obviously uh, getting Luis Urias back in the lineup, who was – pretty much our most consistent overall and best hitter last year would be, would be great. Um, you hate to depend so much on a guy like Luis Urias. I mean, it's, it's bad. My one guy I want to highlight and he is off to a terrible start. And it's so weird because you just wouldn't think that he would ever put this bad of a stretch together of baseball with how consistent he's been in his career is Colton Wong. And not only offensively has he been piss poor, but he has been really bad defensively. And like, just thinking of, I don't know, the Brewers have probably had like seven, eight, like mental errors slash like physical errors that really make you upset. And I feel like Colton Wong has like four of them off the top of my head. Like he's just not playing good baseball right now. Um, he's hitting 170. Um, I mean, his, his war is negative 0.3. Uh, last on our team, um, Lorenzo Kane is right there too. Uh, so, you know, you, you're paying a guy like Colton Wong to um, theoretically be a table setter at the top of your lineup, a guy that's going to put together professional at-bats and play gold glove defense. And he's done anything but that this year, which is kind of a shame. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what it is. If his K percentage is up, I haven't looked too into it, but it's just like, it's, He's obviously a highlight, but it just kind of feels like all of the hitters are kind of clumped into a slump. So it's like hard to like, you know, usually if you have like a couple hitters that are struggling, it's easier to point out, you know, maybe what's going wrong with there. But the other guy and not to change topics on struggling hitters, but you mentioned him is, is Lorenzo Kane. I mean, he's been kind of a guy. Yeah, he's done. And it's, it's it's frustrating because it's like one of those situations where he's getting paid so much money and he's had a long track record, obviously, of being a professional hitter and just like, you know, taking his walks to and just giving good ABs, but he's not even doing that either. And it'll be interesting to see as the season plays out what they do in center field, because it's like we are deep in the outfield, but T-Rat hasn't really taken that job. It felt like if if. Tyrone Taylor was having the year or the start to the year he had last year, you'd see Tyrone starting in center consistently, but it's not like Tyrone's done anything to take that job either. He's been better than uh, low, but it's not like it's been significantly better. So it'll be interesting to see as the season plays out and David's and company are kind of monitoring the rest of the league to look at where they upgrade. It's like, is there any way that, you know, you can give up a higher prospect by also trading a guy like low Kane, where now you find someone that can play center field that can give you some offensive produ- production from that spot, because we're simply not getting it here through the first month of the year. Seems like with T-Rat, like he'll give you like three or four days of really good at bats and really good baseball. And then he goes through like the two week slump. And it's kind of just like an up and down thing with him. I get it's baseball and it's hard, but just the consistency that he lacks is kind of his downfall, I feel like. Yeah, and back to Locaine real quick. Like, 
I'm done with him. The yeah, and it sucks. I mean, like that's the thing. Like when we signed him, and and he was so damn good for that first year, year and a half, two years that he was with us. We knew that, and he would like, like his war for that first year that we had him with Yelich. He was so damn good defensively, like Gold Glove caliber. Um, but man, his stack cast page right now is is about as depressing as it gets. I mean, he is quite literally the first percentile and barrel percentage um which is the the lowest in all of baseball um his uh <laughs> his expected batting average is a ninth percentile he quite literally hits for zero power as his expected expected slug is in the fourth percentile um hitting nothing hard like his sprint speeds all the way down to the 60s now um so i think he's it, you know he might be a guy that might retire after this year to be to be honest with this deal coming up it just kind of seems like he's he's kind of nearing the end of his his career here agreed and I mean he he's had a great career um and everything and it's just like you said it's one of those things where it just feels like the game has now passed him by and the one thing he was holding on to in the latter part of his career was kind of you know he was the defensive gold glove in center field but it seems like that's starting to slow down even now too. I think, you know, just the natural part of being a human being, once you get into your upper thirties, things start to slow down. So that's going to be a position to watch as we trickle into May, because I mean, we traded for Adamas in May and Stearns and Arnold have proven that they're not afraid to pull the trigger for a need before the deadline. So it could be, that could be a spot that you see a potential trade where we attach, you know, the rest of Kane's deal, whether it's, you know, the eight, 9 million that he's owed over the rest of the year um, attached with a prospect to find someone where we can get some production from that spot. Yeah. Or it's going to be like uh, one of those things where he's just a backup outfielder that gets one or two starts a week and maybe plays defensive, like, Honestly, it might just turn into JBJ of last year, but like, I would just like to see before we make any deal, like just give T-Rat, just give him like two weeks in a row where he plays every single day in center field, like just consistent at bats. I mean, yeah, he's got 28 at bats this year and, you know, he hasn't hit any homers and, you know, it hasn't been entirely there quite yet for him, but He's still got four seasons with the 777 OPS with T-Rat. He's only 28 years old. Like, at least you have something there. Like, there's some tools that you see. Like, he's he hits the ball hard. He's in the 70th percentile of exit velocity. He's running fast, close to 80th. So, it's like, at least there's some life if you play T-Rat instead of Locaine. Right. Mm-hmm. But that 789, the batting order, just feels like such a black hole right now with <clears> – <throat> On base, Jace. Low, I shouldn't even call on base, Jace, just to take that title away from him. Um, low Kane, and then either one of the catchers, which is fine because they're both pretty solid defensively. But well, here's the thing: if you uh, Victor Carantini in seven games played and 22 plate appearances is our most valuable position player. <laughs> yeah, and that's not good. Also, is he turning into Corbin Burns' personal catcher? It's kind of what it seems. Yeah, I don't know. I think because uh, what uh, Omar obviously caught opening day, but ever since then, Carantini has has uh, caught the rest of burn starts, which have all been impressive. So I don't know. It might turn into uh, Corbin Day gets Victor attached to him as well. 
And it's weird because Victor was always that guy with you, Darvish. Like he was always you, Darvish's personal catcher. So maybe he just gels with certain guys, and Corbin's now his new guy. Yeah. And honestly, if you're a Cy Young Award winner, you probably have the luxury of picking out your catcher. Um, so with Caratini being a switch hitter, you can pretty much start him every burn start if you really wanted to. Um, so yeah, it's something to keep an eye on. I also read and it, it kind of noticed it after the first few days that the Brewers did get rid of their pitch com. Yeah, uh, someone wrote an article about that. That uh, I think there may be one or two guys that are still using it, but yeah, ninety percent of the arms have gone away from it. I kind of figured as much, um, especially after the shaky start. It just kind of seemed like it was like kind of a little bit more clunky than the Brewers would have liked. So that makes sense and. Obviously, uh, the results have been good. I don't know how much of a correlation there is. It's probably just being more comfortable there, to be to be honest. Right. Yeah, it's players. It was awkward when they were just, like, staring at the catcher and nothing. There was, like, no signs or anything. Yeah, it's just it just seems weird. Like, you're just, like, pressing a button and someone talks in your ear. It's like, dude, I'll take the risk of someone stealing the signs from second base. Just, like, let's play normal baseball here. I, I, I know if I was pitching, I wouldn't like like a robotic like slider low and away like before you throw. It's like that's not natural at all. Right. And like these guys are so superstitious and so like process oriented that like they're trying to repeat every single pitch with their mechanics and they have their you know specific routines that something like that probably even if it causes the slight of bit of like hesitation or like, whoa, that was weird. Like that gets them thinking about something else. So I can, I can see where that would just be something where it's just like, okay, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. It just takes away the full, like their flow. Right. And like rhythm. Yeah. Um, so got the Brewers offense. I mean, we touched on a few guys. It seems like Renfro was heating up a little bit, but it just hasn't really seemed like two games have been strung together. Um, the nice part was to see Renfro hit two home runs this week, um, one coming at AmFam and then one uh, in opposite field, one to right center on Saturday. So that was, you know, if we're trying to find some positive here, at least there's that with Renfro doing what he does best and hitting for power. Um, you know, let's you talk about Yelich here real quick, but uh, – you know, we, everyone that listened to us last week, we kind of had that moment when he hit that grand slam and elevated that ball and um, kind of reverted back to what he's been. I mean, I think he's only had a hit or two since that point um, and nothing has really been elevated. So he did have the game winning sack fly at Philly yesterday, which was, which was good. Um, but other than that, you know, a relatively slow week for, for him after Monday. I think we need another uh, 10, 10 games to decide what's going on with this offense. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Yelich is it's just so weird that he obviously has lost the ability to consistently elevate the ball, but it's just like so weird. you look at his baseball Zavant page, and when yeah. you look at that, outside of his K percentage, he's been striking out more than what you would say he was even in his Marlin days. He has so much red on his – baseball savant page where it's just like i don't know if he's just continuing to run into bad luck but at the same time like it's a lot easier to consistently i guess you could say get out if you're not elevating the ball right you can hit 
the ball really hard, but if it's on the ground and right at someone, you're talking about major league baseball players that are going to make the play, you know, 85, 95% of the time. So it's one of those things where it's like, you look at his, his savant page and you're like, man, he should be doing a lot better. But if you're not elevating and, you know, working on launch angle that, you know, can happen. Yeah. I mean, uh, for anyone that watched the Sunday night telecast, he literally, uh, you know, they went over it a handful of times. He is the best player in baseball at hard hit percentage. <laughs> so like he's lacing the ball. He, he's got to be frustrated with his overall results with how consistently hard he's hitting the ball. Um, it, there's still hope. Like you just hope that he just finds something where he can elevate the ball again, because it seems like that's the only thing that's missing. He's still striking out a lot when he doesn't make contact, um, which is interesting because he's got an incredible chase rate. Right. It's just like a, such a weird profile to look at. Like it's kind of what makes baseball awesome, but you would look at this. Like if you didn't know any better and didn't watch the games, you'd be like, Oh hell yeah. This guy is like a surefire all-star. Like if you just look, if you just, I guess, and that's why games aren't played on stat cast pages. Um, right. But still, it's just interesting. Yeah. Stat cast guys. Yeah. He's one of those guys where the data doesn't match the results. Yeah. It's, uh, so hopefully we get him cooking a little bit. That would be big for the offense. I mean, otherwise, a deal. A deal will be made um, because I don't know. I, we're only 27 or 17 games in, excuse me. So there's obviously um, some time to figure it out, but we saw Willie get traded for last May. Speaking of which, good, good sign for Willie to hit a clutch home run today. That was much needed for him. He pooped. Yeah, it was a really good moment until it wasn't. So yeah, it got snatched from our jaws really quickly. Feels like Willie's been hitting the ball hard a lot. Um, just at people um, in the Philly series. He had a couple of lineouts uh, to short and one to center, I believe. Um, hopefully that's good a sign of good things to come for him. Yeah, I wouldn't really really worry about Willie too much. If you look under the hood, he's he's off to a pretty solid start. Um, things will start to fall for him. So not too concerned about Willie yet. Um, yeah, I did want to mention that we were kind of going back and forth in our chat. Um, it would be interesting, like, once we, you know, trade season does come around and we are looking for a big-time bat with the emergence of Eric Lauer and how good Hauser's been and obviously the rest of the staff, like, how likely do you think it will be that one of Aaron Ashby or Ethan Small uh, get traded here? Like, do you think, do you think they become a package with a Lorenzo Kane or – you know, if we have to keep Kane because no one wants that contract, like, do we attach T-Rat with one of those two prospects and try to get a solid contributor in return? It's it's interesting to think about now. Yeah, it's... Xander, Xander Bogarts. <laughs> or Rafael Devers because they're not – the Red Sox aren't going to pay him. That'd be sick. Yeah. yeah, one of the two. I mean, obviously. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's, it's hard because it, like – on paper makes sense to help the team now. But when you think about what Stearns and Arnold, the culture that they created about bites at the apple and things like that, where it's like, okay, play this down two, three, four years from now, the realistic chance of us losing 
probably one of, or if not both, Corbin Burns and Brandon, Brandon Woodruff, do you view it as, okay, let's try to find other guys, whether you're trading from your outfield surplus of prospects. Um, I, the more time passes, I feel like Bryce Turing may be held on to because maybe they view him as the second baseman next year because Colton Wong, come, I mean, he has a club option next year where last year I felt like, okay, they're picking up that club option, but the way he's been this year, it's like, okay, maybe that's no longer, or there's a potential of us of letting him go. So maybe Terang isn't the guy where it felt like last year, he was a surefire. He's the guy that you're trading uh, for, a, for a bat, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting case that I think you could make the argument either way. But one thing I do think that's going to be settled is that Ethan Small is no longer a minor league baseball pitcher. I think this month is probably the last month you see him there. We're talking about a year now, over a year, where he's had essentially a sub one ERA in AAA. I mean, this guy is 100% ready to be on a big league roster and you know it's just we don't really have a rotation spot for him right now but maybe once we get into may and june and we go back to the consistent six-man rotation maybe it's even though the plan for ashby is to make him in a rotation piece he looked good out of the bullpen was it yesterday or two days ago i think it was two days ago i think it was on saturday um maybe small takes that six rotation spot and they keep ashby in the bullpen for another, you know, late inning left. Yeah. yeah, that's not a bad idea. Um, especially because, like, yeah, with the bullpen's been really good, obviously. Like, Boxberger's been awesome. Got before tonight's been awesome. But Devin Williams has been a little shaky. And then, like, you, you would like those guys after that, like, Suter. Like, you know, I don't have I don't have the numbers pulled up here for him. But, like, you know, he's not an end-of-the-game type guy, like, Whereas Ashby, like out of the bullpen tonight, you would have much rather seen him than Dylan Cousins in that eighth inning, um, you know, when they brought him in. So that's an interesting thought. Like, you know, we were thinking maybe Hauser could be in that role before the season, but he's embraced that starting position. So Yeah, yeah, you can't pull him out of the rotation now after the way he started. But um, for, those, uh, for those wondering, I mean, Bryce Terang through 15 games in AAA is hitting 302 um with six extra base hits so um you know his ops is near 800 he uh has a solid glove so it'll be interesting to see you know if uh if that becomes a thing all of our top prospects are knocking on the door and we'll wait for that when we do the minor league uh kind of down on the farm trip but it's just like you have a lot of our top prospects that are hitting the ball really well so it's like you kind of have some decisions to make whether it's using them to get a proven bat to help the team this year or moving some of the guys you currently have to give them a shot. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So but things are still early, um, you know, offensively, this is still a small sample size overall. So let's give it a little bit longer before we hit the, the full panic mode on, you know, this offense being terrible for the rest of the year. Um, but obviously through three weeks of ball sitting at, you know, 28th overall OPS. Um, I think that's what you said, right, Mitch? Um, yeah. That's what they're going to It was 27th, but I would assume after today they're going to drop. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So, uh, yeah, no, is there any other, uh, you know, we kind of 
went over the positives, negatives for the week. Do you guys got anything else before we, we go down to the farm report? Yeah, here's a round table that I want to talk about because we saw it again tonight with um, Andy Fisher and we saw it last night with Angel Hernandez. But what is the MLB going to do with their seemingly umpire problem that it's not just happening in our leagues? I don't know if you've looked at the MLB scorecards, but we've had some really consistent across the league guys under 90 percent in their strike and call efficiency. Uh, I think the league average was like 93 or 94 percent, which to me is even even bad. You're talking about, you know, 10 to 12 pitches a game that are being missed, some of which are happening in crucial points of the game that are pretty much choosing the outcome of the game. Um, do you think we see, obviously it can't happen this year, but do you think that automated strike zones coming like within the next, say even next year or the year after? Cause I, I will tell you right now, Andy Fisher's scorecard is going to be tonight at almost as bad as Angel Hernandez was last night. I'm solely yeah. convinced that Angel Hernandez is Rob Manfred's minion and to make the game, make games about himself. So the national spotlight glares on angel hernandez and gets more clicks for baseball i'm solely convinced that that's what his job is yeah i've seen a couple of tweets floating around it's like angel hernandez is so bad for baseball that he's good for baseball type deal like you know this <laughs> everyone loves a villain and this is one that all fans can collectively get behind and highlights can float around the internet and we can talk about it on a podcast i don't know i mean maybe there's something to be said about that but, you know, if I'm a Phillies fan, I'm not too happy with uh, that call on Gene Segura that was 6.7 inches out of, you know, inside the plate. I was watching that and I like audibly gasped. I, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> How does Gene just not turn around and just bang his kneecaps after that? Like, that's, that's so bad. That can't even hype it, happen in high school that bad of a call. And it's so rare when you see a hitter when Kyle Schwarber got thrown out where he like, just was like the Brewers fucking hate you. We hate you. I hate you. Like he was just, I mean, it was one of those things where you collectively, like, I think everyone in the ballpark, both teams and the fans were like, good for you, Kyle Schwarber. You're saying something that all of us wanted to say or would say to Angel Hernandez. So the whole union protecting him thing, I get it. Like that's the point of unions, but at the same point, I saw something which I think is, um, something that should be looked at where it's like, okay, with baseball and pitchers, they went to the DH. So you're now limiting what a pitcher's role is. Why can't umpires have the same thing where if you're protecting Angel Hernandez and he should still be an umpire because of the union, just don't have him call balls and strikes. I think John boy was talking about that where it's just like, okay, like have him fucking ump second or third yeah. consistently. Like just don't give him home plate games anymore. Like he's being talked about way too much behind the plate because he's determining outcomes of the game. And that's exactly what you don't want as a ref. Like the best umps and the best refs in all professional sports are the ones that go unnoticed because you don't want the storyline to be about them. Yeah. And I don't know, like I, I'm kind of torn. Like I, I probably tweeted like bring on the robots before when I'm intensely watching a brewer game. Um, I don't know. I feel like something would be missed if you take out that slight human element of things like, like the, obviously the, the thing about a strike zone is it's like that one thing that's like a hundred percent, like yes or no. Is it a strike? It's that simple. Yes or no. Like you, you would never implement this in basketball or like, I don't know. It, it's just different. It would be one, one thing in sports that you could potentially automate. 
But then you take away the art of catching, like an edge that the Brewers probably have more so than a lot of teams in the league is good defensive catchers right now. Right, right, right. Um, And like, yeah, like framing pitches is technically like tricking umps, but, you know, it's been taught in baseball for 100 plus years. Like it's, I don't know, it's like embedded as part of the game. Like you're going to, well, you're just going to have some big old DH or big old guy squat down and just like be on his knees and catch the ball and just have a, I don't know. Uh, I think part of me leans like when I start talking about it more keeping the umps, but there's got to be a way to keep guys like Angel accountable. Right. So yeah. maybe that's what you do is how you meet in the middle is there is just a very strict criteria to be an umpire that calls balls and strikes. There's an efficiency rate that you have to remain above. And if you slip below, you know, you kind of lose that privilege because I would say Angel Hernandez has probably been, you know, for the last five, six years, however long it's been, been you know statistically the worst or bottom three yeah. um, when it comes to calling games behind the plate i think since they've been keeping track he's by far and away has missed the most overall calls uh, i think i saw something it was like 2400 calls in the last six years or seven years or something like that it's so absurd <laughs> did you see the video of him like just cheesing so hard after the game some fans are like chirping him yeah, in the parking lot, and he just had the biggest shitting grinning on his face. Like, yeah, like, dude, he knew damn well he was on Sunday Night Baseball, and he was just gonna make it the biggest ump show he possibly could. Yeah, which is the problem. I did see in like going back to the automated strike zone real quick. I did see I was watching highlights. I don't know what level of baseball it was, but there was this like long lefty and he like totally missed his spot and the catcher like had to reach all the way across his body and catch it. And it was technically in the zone, but he missed the spot by like three feet, two feet, if you want to be exact, but, and it was a strike according to the automated strike zone and the, the catcher, the ump and the hitter kind of looked at each other like, well, I guess you're out. See like that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, yes, it's a strike, but it just doesn't feel right or like natural. Cause they all kind of looked at each other and everyone walked off the field. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be weird. Like, I just – I think it would ultimately hurt the pitchers, I would think. Right. The umps, Mitch, that's a good point with, the, like, their rankings. And then if they don't do good enough, they get their ass sent back to AAA, and then they have to build up build up and well, get it's back like, to the bigs. It just feels like uh, – and, like, the guys I'm talking baseball is like – it's like, yeah, it's like getting your driver's license. Like, you take a test when you're 16 – and you're able to drive a car the rest of your life. Like, right. It should not be that way when you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars being at a top of your profession. Like there has to be some sort of accountability. Like you lose money or you make a lower salary. Like I'm assuming all those guys make the exact same amount of money um, or maybe they get paid on tenure. Either way, like, you, like he's got to be able to be like, fined or suspended or like you know what I mean if a player goes oh of 30 and strikes out 17 times they're being down to triple a and not getting a big league paycheck can you think of another role whether it's player coach a high level executive that regardless of their performance level keeps their job or whatever title they're in gms if they suck they're fired coaches if they suck they're fired players get sent down get traded etc they do it for playoffs with the umpires where they only take a certain select few based upon performance. Why can't you do that for a, what I would consider the most critical 
umpire position is calling balls and strikes. Why can't they be judged on a performance in the regular season that impacts whether they can call games behind the plate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was a tough scene all the way around with Angel Hernandez. <laughs> like even Andrew McCutcheon's interview after the game, he like in a roundabout way, it was just like, yeah, don't blame Schwarber at all. Like it was bad all night. Like you just try to go and, you know, not change your approach, but it's, tough when you got that guy behind you doing what he's doing so yeah it was, and it was on the national stage too which made it all the the worse there um cool that sounds good why don't we uh why don't we you know we touched on ethan small a little bit bryce terang um what else we got going on down uh in the minors yeah so i mean you touched on bryce Rang, but just to highlight how hot he's been in his last four games, he is 10 of 17. That was highlighted by a five of five night, I think, over the weekend, whether it was Friday or Saturday. Uh, I think he's raised his batting average over 100 points in four games. Um, so, you, like you said, he's hitting right around the 300 clip. Um, all of our top prospects have actually been performing through the first month of the year. Uh, Ethan Small had another awesome start. He's His ERA is at a, uh, I actually think it increased over his last start. He's up to a 0.49 ERA with 24 strikeouts in 18 innings. So you're talking about a guy that just really doesn't belong in AAA anymore. So uh, would not be shocked to see him over the, you know, maybe but before the end of May, he gets a, a spot start uh, with the Brewers. And then, our, our trio of outfielders uh, seemingly just continue to rake at every level. So obviously the highlight and probably who you could call the best prospect in the Brewers system, which is crazy to think because at this time last year, he wasn't even in the top 30. Uh, our boy, Joey Weimer just continues to rake with a 322, 394, 508 slash a 902 OPS and hit another absolute bomb over the weekend. So he's in double A right now. Um, don't know how much longer he'll be there. I could see him getting called up to AAA. And then our other two, actually, our, our number one prospect in, in the farm is Sal Freelich, uh, who is posting an 821 OPS in high A uh, after the first month. And uh, Garrett Mitchell, now starting to get healthy again, has uh, a nine-game hitting streak with a 848 OPS. So all of our top prospects seem to be performing at their respective levels, uh, which is a good sign. Um, so a lot of depth, even though it seems like every year the Brewers farm gets um, maybe undervalued, uh, our top prospects just continue to hit at every level. So, yeah, I've seen, uh, uh, you know, Sal Freelick has, has been awesome down there. Another guy uh, for the T-Rats that I've seen a lot of Brewers, uh, what is it, Brewers player, like Brewers down or whatever, Brewers yeah. development. Um, Antoine Kelly was off to an awesome start too. Um, tall six foot five lefty pitcher that throws super funky. He's only 22 years old. He's got a 2.63 ERA and he's got 19 strikeouts and 13 and two thirds innings pitch. He uh, hides the ball so well. Uh, for those of you that want to watch some videos, go to the Brewers player development and watch his video. I have never seen a left-handed pitcher hide the ball for as long as he does. It's almost like he sits it at his hip until he plants and then throws, which is just crazy. And like you said, he's super long, still has the velocity. When you add in the deception, um, he could be a, one of those, you know, future brewer back end bullpen arms that we see, you know, two, three years from now. 
Yeah, it looks like if you look at his minor league track record, like since he's been drafted, he's been kind of, you know, injured and COVID and, and so forth. But um, off of pure stuff, it, it, it looks like he might be starting to, to put things together right now and another guy to keep an eye on. Um, cool. Do we got anything else here? I mean, the Brewers, uh, the Brewers got three against Pittsburgh. It looks like we're facing uh, Keller against Woodruff tomorrow. Wednesday, you got Aaron Ashby against Wilson. And Thursday, Freddie Peralta against Brewers killer Jose Quintana. So, got a fun week on deck. Got uh, Brewers Cubs on the weekend. So, we'll have uh, those fun fans coming up north to to have a heated battle. So, that should be a, a whole lot of fun this, this weekend. Um, but, yeah, you guys got anything else? No, I think that's that's a wrap from, from my perspective. All right, we need uh, we did this last week. I think we were all pretty close, but uh, prediction for record on the, on the week here with three against Pitt and three against the Cubs. Six to no. I'll say it. <laughs> offense, <laughs> well, offense, offense wakes up. That's an unbelievable bus reaction. You would never guess that I was going to say that. He went from say, drinking. He yeah, went from God. drinking bleach an hour and a half ago to going six and on this week. Oh yeah, we're bad, baby. There's no it's one else that can do that besides Mitchell Buss, and I respect that. I'm gonna say four and two, and I think we go two and one in each of the series. That's what I. Uh, it's a safe play, but that's what I'm gonna predict. I was we're not losing, losing to Pittsburgh. <laughs> I was going the conservative route too. I'll say four and two uh, as well. The Pirates are so bad, bro. <laughs> Dude, they just took three. They just took three out of four, but lost the fun differential to our boys. <laughs> yeah, I know. The Cubs are also very bad. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Got, Judging uh, by Cubs Twitter. Agreed. Yeah, we, we kind of stayed away from that tonight, which is fine. We'll uh, we'll continue to monitor all situations. On the bright side, the Cardinals just blew a lead in the ninth inning, so it looks like the Mets might be taking them down tonight to uh, make us feel a tad better. Um, so with that being said, hopefully uh, when next Sunday comes around, we'll we'll be in a top of the NL Central and cruise from there. But uh, let's cook, boys. Nobody on the road, nobody on the beach. Feel it in the air, the summer's out of reach. Empty lake.